Before I begin uh, preaching, I'd like to uh, introduce myself and then make a couple of introductions. My name's Rich Jesperson. Uh, I have the great good pleasure and honor to be the father of Adam Jesperson, <laughs> uh, my pride and joy. And he isn't here today because last night he, he caught a bug of some kind and he's in bed sleeping off and feverish. So he's not doing good. So we'll pray for him this morning too, but it's my disappointment that he isn't here. But he grew up listening to me, so <laughs> he's probably heard this sermon a few times, more than a few times. Uh, then the other introductions, my wife is sitting next to Adam's wife, Jamie. She's in the, my wife's Karen, she's in the green coat there, so be sure to greet her. Next Sunday I'll be back here but she'll be preaching in our home congregation in Big Sandy. <laughs> so it's a good uh, trade. Uh, they get to listen to her <laughs> for a change instead of me. I'm at the point now where since we've lived since 1987 in Big Sandy, and I've been preaching to some of these same people since then, I'm at the point now of going, like I've told you a thousand times... <laughs> You know, I usually don't shake a finger, but, you know, I'm at the point now of saying, you know, I'm repeating myself. You've probably heard this story several times, but here we go, stage of life I'm in. Uh, Then the other uh, introduction I want to make is a very uh, good friend, uh, Nellie Nickel and her family are in the back row there. Yeah, turn around. She's a legislator from Billings, and she's here for the legislative session and I let her know uh, about you guys, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you and your family, Bill, and have you here today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is the scripture up there yet? Well, she's bringing it up. I want to tell you the uh, title of this sermon. It is this body of Christ. Usually when we start talking about the body of Christ, we talk about the body of Christ. And I want to zero it in that we talk this morning about this body of Christ. Uh, Noah already alluded to that and saying that, uh, you know, there's uh, plenty of uh, rooms, is how you put it? Yeah, all over town in the dwelling that God is building, the great Uh, you can talk about the body of Christ as different parts, and different parts will have different specialties. Uh, But this body of Christ is going to be the focus of this sermon. So when I read this scripture, and I want you to follow along and think about this question, what does this scripture mean for us? So let's dive right in. From Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 in the New International Version. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I guess I can read it on the back wall there too. I don't have to turn my back to you guys. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer 
be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this congregation has, I'm going to get frank with you, which is something that visiting pastors can do, right? (laughs) Okay, this congregation has been and is in the midst of trial. Without a doubt, this congregation has been in the midst of a trial. Uh, your pastor has resigned and, and been asked to resign, and there's been some conflict in the leadership of this congregation. You don't need to know, and I don't certainly know all of the gory details, but it's taken its toll in terms of who's here and who's no longer here. And uh, I've been here a few other times, and I've seen the chairs just about full all the way around the room. And I know how you came out of another congregation and formed this one out of the Presbyterian congregation uh, up the hill. Sorry, this keeps coming off. Um, So you're in the midst of a trial, and you're going to be calling another pastor. So let's just kind of remind us of what that's about. Are there any people in the room right now who are on the call committee? Raise your hand. Okay, three people, all right. In particular, everybody needs to know this, but they particularly do. Okay, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Christ himself did. We're not talking about... uh, you know, fundamentally, we're not talking about a congregation calling a pastor, although you will. But we're talking about Christ through the congregation calling a pastor to this congregation. That's essential to keep in mind. We're not hiring somebody for a job. We're exercising the Spirit of God to call a pastor to the congregation. Every once in a while, uh, in the midst of these current conflicts throughout the churches in the United States, with denominations breaking apart, I come out of a Lutheran background, and we left the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, to form another congregation that's part of a fellowship group just like you guys left the Presbyterian Church USA. And I was talking to uh, Dave in the back while we were getting coffee and he mentioned growing up as a Methodist and right now the Methodist Church is in the midst of that same division nationally. And I've talked to numbers and numbers of pastoral colleagues And I can tell fairly soon after visiting with them 
who those are that I might refer to as jobbers <laughs> and who might I refer to as pastors. Because the jobber always asks questions about salary, benefits, and am I going to lose any of those if I move to another congregation? <laughs> I remember reading about in the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion was going through the, is going through the same thing. But there were some African pastors who were at a conference in the United States. And uh, they were visiting about the uh, trials that they were experiencing in Nigeria, where, uh, if you, have you heard about, you know, you must have heard about the, the, the Muslim uh, persecution of Christians in Nigeria. It's just been fierce. Tens of thousands of Christians have died in Nigeria, and one of the ways of killing them, not to be too gory, but is to necklace them, put a tire around their necks, tie them up, fill the tire with gasoline, and light it on fire. And they're at this conference, and they're talking about how to be faithful to Christ. And then one of these African pastors says to the American priests that are there, he says, I don't understand it. Your house is on fire. And you're worried about your pension. And you're worried about your property. And we're being slaughtered. So there's a difference between pastors who are called and jobbers. <laughs> Christ himself to the church gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To what end? For what purpose? Go on to the next verse, please. To equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To equip. Now, this has been a, the bane of churches for, in the United States for the longest time, and probably everywhere always, that once you call a pastor, there, you've done your work, now let's let the pastor do his job, and we just can come and be entertained. <laughs> or, uh, you know, be fed. But the pastor's really the one doing the work of ministry. I... And, and it's almost inevitable that this is going to happen. I, I, I remember once in our church in Big Sandy that uh, the president of the congregation during a potluck came to me one in the midst of the potluck and said, it's really hot in here. Would it be okay if I turn the heat down? And my reaction was, when did I become the keeper of the thermostat? <laughs> that she felt she needed to ask permission for me to turn the heat down. I says, I'm doing something wrong if everybody thinks that all of those decisions are my decisions about things. Turn the heat down. I don't care. Turn it up. I don't care. Uh, it's, it's the bane of churches to kind of say, well, we called a pastor, let him do the work of ministry. The pastor's called to equip the people of God. And actually, the, the, uh, the word there for people of God is a better word in the Revised Standard Version. It's the saints of God for the work of service. The saints. 
what is a saint? Again, it's not a specialized uh, group of believers. It is any believer. The word is hagioi, and it means the holy ones. And how is it that we become holy? By the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And there we become saints. So I'm looking at a room full of saints who come on Sundays and other times and in your small groups to be equipped for the works of service to which God calls you. Now, I'm going to speak very Lutheran kind of a word because Martin Luther understood that these works of service and the outreach chiefly takes place through our vocations. Through our vocations. We may support missionaries. We may have special uh, ministry projects to collect food, gather food, and so forth. But it's in your vocation, whatever that is. That's where God has called you. If you're a teacher, be the best teacher you can be. And I'm not even saying, you know, that you use your classroom necessarily to... uh, preach the gospel, you're uh, doing your vocation. My wife was an English teacher. When she's teaching English and English literature and doing that well, she's fulfilling the vocation to which God called her. She also happened to uh, be kind of a surrogate mother for lonely kids in her classroom uh, and kids that needed prayer, and she let them readily know that she was praying for them. Uh, So that's fulfilling the vocation, the works of service. If you're a legislator, be an honest, upright legislator, bringing glory to God by the uh, work of service that you do there, and you come here to be equipped to be that and do that. If you're a parent, the best parent you can be. If you're a grandparent, like I'm sure looking out at this room, a lot of you are, be that grandparent who continues to witness to your grandchildren and love on them so that they know you you wouldn't believe, well, I, I know you would believe how many children there are out there who don't think anybody loves them. If you're a grandparent, be a substitute grandparent for somebody else. Kind of adopt some kid and say, you know, I care about what happens to you. Tell me about your day. What's going on with you? Somebody to care about them. That's fulfilling your vocation. If you're a parent, in your marriage, marriage is one of the highest vocations, according to Luther, because it was created before the fall. (laughs) It was created back when there was a paradise. (laughs) Uh, Maybe our marriages aren't necessarily paradise anymore. (laughs) And some of you know that all too well. But... uh, That doesn't mean that the vocation is any less. It's a calling. It's a calling. There are all kinds of people that get married because they say, we're in love. It would be more Christian if they said, we're getting married because God has called us to that. And our love is a sign of that call. Does that make sense? Okay. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. If we're all fulfilling our vocations and exercising this work of service after we're being equipped, guess what will happen? The body will be built up. It will be built up. It will grow. Next verse, please. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In the faith, 
until we all reach unity in the faith. You see, there is faith and there is the faith. I want to distinguish them for just a second. In our church still, we make it a point every Sunday to confess, that is say that we agree with the historic apostolic teaching of the church found in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That is the faith. We're not going to go experimenting with other versions of that because that's not the historic apostolic faith delivered to us. As a pastor, I've always seen my role is to be a steward of the faith, to pass it on from one generation to the next. I remember some folks at one of our, in the predecessor church, you know, the church we left, they keep wanting to experiment on the people of God with different versions of confessions and, and different names for God, like God the Mother and things like that. And I just kind of cringe. And I remember at one point after a, a synod assembly, statewide assembly of the church, the, the presiders at worship, they, they kind of said, uh, experimented with some of this, you know, that they didn't want to call God Father, so everything was, you know, God the something else. And Jesus was, they could say the Savior, but they wouldn't dare say the Son, because that was patriarchal and patriarchy and uh, that kind of thing. And I just wrote him a scathing letter afterwards, and, and I sent it to the bishop too. And, and uh, the essence of my letter was, what right do you have to experiment on the people of God? Who gave you that right? That's not what you were called to do. You were called... And I remember the vows that we made at ordination to pass, pass on faithfully the, the faith as it was delivered to us. St. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. What I say to you has been given to me. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures and that he appeared I'm just passing on what was faithfully delivered to me. That's our role. The faith. Now, it's not to save it from being just head knowledge about the faith. Uh, we talk about faith. That is active living trust. Active living confidence in this truth and in him who is the truth, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's in the knowledge, in the faith, excuse me, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of, in the knowledge of, not just the knowledge about, but in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How are we doing? I still, I got to make sure I get to the meat of this. <laughs> We're not to the meat of this yet. And become mature. Now, this is interesting to me because maturity in this case, in the Christian case, doesn't involve, it isn't the same as maturity in, in what we want to do with our children. What do we want for our children as they mature? Somebody shout it out. We want them to become mature, but what does maturity look like? Well, maturity looks like independence, doesn't it? They emancipate. They can live 
apart from us. They used to be so dependent on us, they'd just cling to our legs and hold on to us. And mommy and daddy, if they were still doing that at 18 years old, we'd be going, we're not doing something right. <laughs> but at some point, as they mature, they emancipate, and we hope they emancipate with, with mental and emotional health, with spiritual life, and uh, they can, they've got an education, and then they eventually have a vocation of their own, and they can take care of themselves, and eventually have a family of their own. So they become more independent. Now, Christian maturity is different, because Christian maturity flips that on its head and say, we don't become less dependent on Christ, we become more dependent on Christ. As we mature, we become less full of ourselves and more full of the Spirit. As we mature, we become less uh, of our own mind and we adopt more the mind of Christ. C.S. Lewis put it like this. In the Chronicles of Narnia, in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children are introduced to the Christ figure, Aslan, who is a lion. Okay? You know the story. In the second book, the children go back, and as they're walking along a road and Aslan appears to them, they say, you look bigger than the first time. And Aslan says to, this, to them this, and this was a brilliant insight by C.S. Lewis. He said, the more you grow, the bigger I get. The more you grow, the bigger I get which is Christian maturity. The more we grow, the more sufficient God gets, the greater God gets, the more righteous he is, the more holy he is, the more loving he is, the more forgiving he is. Uh, Not that he changes, but we grow. And as we grow, our sense of God becomes bigger until it says there, Uh, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We become full of Christ. Now, John the Baptist said that best when his disciples came to him and said, in in John chapter 2, I think it was, that uh, all, all of your disciples, they're going to Jesus. And John said this. He said, he must increase and I must decrease He must increase and I must decrease. That's growth in maturity, is that we decrease and he increases. Make sense? Amen? Amen. Until we reach the fullness of Christ, we become full of Christ. St. Paul said it like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I know that and when I confess my sins, one of the most common confessions I make is that I'm just too much about me. <laughs> and, and I often hear Christ on my shoulder saying things like, it's not about you, Rich. It's not about you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be so delighted uh, when I'm just done with me. <laughs> uh, Anyway, next verse, please. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth 
by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Well, when you get equipped in the, the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus and you're growing in that, you can stand in the storm. You can stand in the wind and you're not going to be drifting back and forth uh, in your own sense of uh, personal salvation. Um, I was blessed that when I was a real young Christian, I was affiliated with a campus group at University of California called the Navigators. And uh, one of the first things they asked me to do was memorize some scripture verses, and they were all under the title of assurances. Now, what, is ba- what do baby Christians need? They need milk. <laughs> And they need sure and firm stuff. So it was assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Uh, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Is in his son. Assurance of that. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God has not life. It's sure. And I can rest on that. That's... The, the food that we need so that we're not tossed back and forth. There was also assurance of forgiveness. That verse I quoted earlier about if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us. Assurances of that. And along with that, assurances of victory and assurances of help in temptation and assurances of prayer being heard, you know, and answered. Uh, assurances so that we're not tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes because you know what the devil wants to do he wants to he's constantly scheming to make you afraid anxious and insecure that's always the goal if you end up feeling insecure, scared, anxious, you're not sure of your, the nature of your relationship with Christ, that's not Christ speaking to you. That's the enemy. Next verse, please. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ, him who is the head. So if I'm talking about this body of Christ, just as it's true for the whole body of Christ, who is the head of this body of Christ? Christ. Could the, uh, how many session members are here? Could you two please come up? My, uh, if there's any other session members, please come forward here. Good. And just, yeah, stand up here and turn around. So if he stands, yeah, now we're about the same height, finally. So, oh, good. All four of you here. Good. Now, I'm going to be talking to them and about them, but here's what I want to, the point that I want to make is that when, And this is really what I started thinking about a month ago when I first knew I was coming here. I said, this is the word God gave me for today about this body of Christ as we've adopted in our leadership and in our decision-making, whether it's at the congregational level or at the session level, we've adopted a democratic model, another democratic part, a small d. 
meaning the majority rules. So if, if there's a decision facing you for, I, I, I imagine it, that sometimes there's a three to one vote and the majority rules. Is that right? Yeah, right. So let me ask you here, hold hands. And if I asked you to continue holding hands and I said, you can return to your seats, what would happen? <laughs> that row right there. In other words, sometimes the strongest wins. It's kind of like, now this applies to marriage too. I'll give you a few examples of that. But you know, when the scriptures say the two shall become one, what often ends up happening is at that point the battle begins. Which one are we going to become? <laughs> Which one? And it's a power struggle back and forth again about which one's going to be the one. Well, you're going to that seat, you're going to this seat, you're going over here, and you're going back to the computer. And what do we have? We've got chaos. We've got a spastic body of Christ going in four different directions. But if we have mutually submitted to the headship of Jesus Christ and we're seeking his will for the congregation, what should we have as a byproduct of that? If you're seeking the will of Christ for this congregation, you're praying about that, and you're seeking in the, reading the scriptures, and you're doing the same, you're doing the same, and you're doing the same, and you're in all sincerity, nobody's hiding any secret agendas or anything like that, but you're doing that, what will you likely find along the way? Unity. And that unity will manifest itself in the light of Christ. <laughs> hold on to that end. Come and hold on now. Look at that. The current is complete. The circuit is unbroken. The light shines. But if you break hands here and you're no longer connected to each other and you're not in unity with each other, what suffers? What suffers? Okay, be in unity again. Okay. Now I want you to use that with the kids on, on, uh, on Wednesday night too, okay? You can give that back to Adam when you're done. Well, I do want to say we would actually have all just gone apart so, because that's what needs to be done. Okay. Come up here with Michael because that's what needs to be done. There you go. Okay, you can be seated. I'm not done talking to you, but you can right. be seated. All right. Now, if there's disagreement, if there isn't unity, what does that mean? Pardon me? Well, there is confusion there, but... What literally does it mean? Literally, it means that we haven't heard Christ, the head, yet. Not all of us, and not all together. Does Christ care about his church? It is his body. He's the head. I'll give you uh, some examples of that. Um, this was just last week. My wife and I uh, entertained an investment opportunity but we had made a decision years and years ago that we wouldn't move ahead with major decisions unless what? We had unity. 
Now, she was praying about it. I was praying about it. The guy that was on the phone with us that was promoting this investment opportunity didn't want to give us room to breathe. You know how those guys can be. He just wanted us to make a decision right there. Well, my wife held fast, and she said, no, we have to pray about it. And he said, well, I thought you already did, and we will again, you know. And not right now with you on the phone either, you know. And we didn't move ahead until we were united about it, which really meant that we were saying, we want to yield this to you, Lord, and we want to move ahead. Now, what does that solve? That solves a problem of power struggles between people. And it solves problem of power struggles between her and me because I assume, and she does too, that if we're not united, either the decision's wrong and we should say no, or we just need to wait. We need to continue to pray and we need to wait. But it doesn't occur that, that what often happens in marriage is that people turn to blame each other and they go, you're wrong, I'm right. You need to do what I say. We don't have to do that. The very first time we started practicing that, in, and I mean in very practical situation, we were buying our first living room set, furniture. <laughs> and we lived in Denver, and we went to Furniture Row. And there's just one furniture store after another. And we'd go to one, and I would look at a living room set, and i go, that's the one. And she'd say, eh. And then we'd go to another store and she'd say, that's the one, and I'd go, eh. And, and we didn't fight about it. We didn't argue about it. We didn't say, you, you don't have taste. Uh, instead, we said, we haven't found the right furniture set yet. That's all that means. It just means we're not there yet. We don't have to fight about it. We don't have to be in a power struggle. And then we reached that store where we saw this furniture set and she and I were walking around it on opposite sides. And we just kind of circled around it. And then we looked up at each other and we both just nodded. And we went home in peace. And we had a new furniture set. And we'd been married about a year at that point. We discovered that early in our marriage because... And it, and, it, and it is God's truth, you know, that the two shall become one. And if we're one, then our decisions need to be one. And if they're not one, we need to wait and we need to pray. And the session needs to wait and they need to pray until they're one. Uh, I have an article that I want to hand out to you guys about that. This comes, somebody taught me this. I didn't learn this on my own about the body of Christ, but I want you to have that, keep that, read that, um, and uh, if, it, if, it, if you're in agreement with it, great. If you're not, can you give it back there too? Thank you. Um, but I just commend this to you as a way of moving forward so that in speaking the truth in love, the congregation is led uh, to uh, maturity and grows into Christ to become in every respect the mature body of Christ moving forward. Next verse, please, and then I'll conclude. From him, the whole body joined together 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I know that you're not here just to be entertained. You're not here just to, uh, you know, pass some time on Sunday morning, but you're here to, be, to meet your Lord and to be fed and to be equipped so that you grow and become more mature in your faith and in your service to Christ. And that's his will for you. And he promises to be in the midst of all of that, uh, to, to from the inside to grow and build up this body of Christ, this body of Christ in love so that each part works to build up the whole. Can I get an amen? Okay, amen. Thank you.